Hello listeners, my name is Jarvis Cocker and I'm here to tell you, you're listening to Light in the Attic, Stay Mellow. Hello, this is Matt Sullivan with the Light in the Attic podcast. This is episode number 16. Thanks for joining us today. We recently were in London, England and sat down with Jarvis Cocker for a chat about music, what he's been listening to lately and other things. For those who aren't familiar with Jarvis, Jarvis is was the lead singer of the band Pulp out of Sheffield, England since about 1983. They released about seven albums. He has a solo career, many albums, including a recent album with Chili Gonzalez called Room 29, and he's uh, acted in a number of movies, including uh, Harry Potter and Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox, and a number of other things. But he's also someone that we've been a fan of for a number of years, including his radio show, or uh, former radio show on BBC Radio 6 called Sunday Service, and Jarvis had a unique style of um, playing all types of music, but also shining a light on uh, elements of history and birthdays and strange anniversaries and uh, we were fortunate to sit down with him which meant a lot and uh, he, uh, shared shared some knowledge so thanks to Jarvis Jeanette Lee and the Brunswick house where we recorded this podcast for their time so here is Jarvis This is uh, Matt Sullivan with Light in the Attic, and I'm sitting here with Jarvis Cocker for the latest edition of the Light in the Attic podcast. We're almost in an attic. Yes, that's true. Where are we? Well, we're in a place called Brunswick House in London, and there's, there are chandeliers in the attic here. <laughs> for sale. Yeah. Yeah, hundreds of them, as well as giant pairs of scissors Yeah, <laughs> that cost you 980 pounds mm. um so you're uh jars me and one thing i wanted to, what to say and i said earlier before we started recording was how much i uh, admired and loved your uh, bbc sunday service radio show that's very kind of you to say it's true and uh it introduced me as i was saying as well um earlier to much uh, many records and artists that i was not familiar with mm. one i was going to bring up which i went out and found the record Soon after you played, it was that Eric Satay, um, Velvet Gentleman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great record, that one. Yeah. Mm. I don't know the story of it, but um, they're just beautiful. Mm. Also the name. Yeah, and you can't get that. I mean, for some reason, that record's never been reissued, and I I don't really understand why. I don't know. Yeah. Because it's, you know, Blood, Sweat and Tears did a version of of Eric Satay, you know. So um, there's lots of people have tried to play that music. Uh, but I think that for me, that's the best kind of modern version of it. You mm-hmm. know? Um, it's yeah, it's one of those records. If uh, if you really want to drift away somewhere, it'll do it. And then it kind of goes kind of strange. Cause actually, the way that I bought that record, I didn't buy it for that at all. I was in some shop and um, I kind of picked a record out, and I, I used to kind of collect. Moog records, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, Moog versions of the hits of today and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I used to quite enjoy those. And I picked one out in this shop, and, and, and the guy said, Oh, that's not very good, that record. If you want a Moog record, you should 
have a look at this one. And you've got the, the Camerata Velvet Gentleman mm -hmm. record out. Uh, and he said, this is, a, this is really good, this record. And uh, I'm kind of bullheaded in a way. I, I don't like to take advice in record shops a lot of time, <laughs> which is stupid because obviously the person is in the shop and that's the good thing about shops is that, you know, it reflects the owner's personality. So you should submit slightly when you go in there. If you like their personality. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. Now I like every record shop's personality because yeah. there aren't that many left. Yeah, you know? yeah yes. So... Uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, he, he kind of sold me that record and, and I was expecting some kind of groovy kind of thing. And so I was kind of taken aback when I, when I heard it. And, uh, and later on in the record, you do get this kind of... Uh, well, I think it's quite good because it's quite an old record, but the way that the electronic elements are um, blended with the kind of more traditional... Mm -hmm. uh, orchestral instruments is, is really interesting. Yep. You know, it's not cheesy at all. It's it's actually that's a beautiful record. Yeah, good record. The cover, yeah. I love the album cover mm. too. It's also a record for those listening is not very hard to find if you just go online. But that's yeah, not, I think not as fun, I mean they did yes. another couple of records as well. There's one called Through the Looking Glass, and then there's one called Something Like the Electronic Spirit of Eric Satie. Mm -hmm. And uh, I haven't heard those ones. Okay, yeah. they're, they're worth yeah. Searching out as well, but the first one is is the best. As usual, the first one's the best one. <laughs> that applies to everyone, doesn't it? You know. But, uh, Unfortunately, it's true sometimes. But there's nothing more annoying than hearing that. And I say, feel like I say that probably once or twice a day. <laughs> um, what? As uh, I just go back to kind of record stores mm. and that whole world. Um, do you still find yourself going to record stores a lot? Yeah, I do, and yeah. and, uh, and I've tried to learn to. Because a lot of the record stores that I loved have, have disappeared, mm -hmm. um, I now take more notice of the people in the record store. <laughs> yeah, um, there used to be a great one on Hanway Street um, in London, and I got a lot of records that I ended up playing uh, on the Sunday service from there. Because this guy kind of got, even though I was kind of, I'm not the kind of person who really engaged the owner of the shop in a long conversation but I guess he just kind of got used to me coming in the shop and the shop was never that popular so he would kind of put something on to kind of reel me in mm -hmm. so you know I'd be browsing in some other part of the shop and then I'd hear a song think, oh that sounds interesting and uh, and so then I'd go and ask him what it was and that we, over the years we kind of evolved that thing that he would it was an unspoken thing that as soon as I was in, then he'd put something on and, like, kind of nine times out of ten, he'd hook me first time and I'd have to run to the counter and say, what's that? What was the name of the store? Um, oh, what was it called? It's gone now. I mean, it was... He tried to sell the entire contents of the shop on eBay. Mm. Yeah, it didn't go well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what it was called. It, it was probably some kind of generic name. What are your what are stores now in London or Paris or anywhere in the world that you some of your favorites? Um, let's have a think. Uh, Paris, yeah, Paris has got some some decent stores uh, for old records. Well, again, this is not very this isn't very useful because I can't remember the name of it. But there's one. I think the name of the road is Rue Gerando. Okay. Um, and he's got good records. His big gimmick is he shrinks wraps everything. 
which somehow just makes everything look smart. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever been to a store where they literally shrink wrap. Yeah, so everything's yeah. shrink wrapped. So it kind of looks yeah. like it's new, yeah. but it isn't. Yeah. Uh, and he's he's got a good selection of things. Do you Quite find, expensive, though. Do you find yourself buying um, records online, or are you into CDs still, or mostly just vinyl? Or CDs have completely disappeared for me now. Yeah, I mean, I never liked. I didn't like the length of them. We were talking earlier before we started recording that I think that, you know, the 33 RPM record album is like the perfect format for music, that you put it on, you get 20 minutes, 22 minutes of music, which can be one long piece of music, or it can be like four, five, six songs. Mm -hmm. And, And that's like a really good kind of chunk of time to spend sitting there listening to something. Yeah. You know, if you want to treat music, which I... Do find I do want to even more now, uh, as like it's an occasion uh, to sit down and actually actively listen to something, mm-hmm. because the rest of music's going so much in the other way, where you've got a themed playlist. Like uh, I'm doing some flower arranging today. You know what 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 music would go well with my flower arranging, <laughs> or or I'm I'm uh, you know I'm I'm cooking. I'm cooking, I'm cooking a Mexican meal. What what playlist could I have in the yeah, background? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are using music much more in that kind of scented candle mm-hmm. way of it, more of an environmental idea of music, yeah. which is all right, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but much different. There are other times when you actually want to sit there and and get your mind blown, you know, and and that's what I like. Mm-hmm. I like to sit on the couch and go astral traveling with something, <laughs> you know. That's which and obviously you couldn't chop up. An onion whilst doing that because it would be really dangerous. That, <laughs> very dangerous, very dangerous. And when you were doing, uh, you said earlier, I think interesting part of your Sunday service show on the BBC. It was a show Jarvis had for seven years. Mm-hmm. For those listening who weren't, aren't familiar with it, but there's probably some archive shows on YouTube worth uh, checking out. Um, you mentioned you had access to the BBC archive. Mm. Um, what were some of those experiences like? Well, they were kind of uh, horrifying in in a certain way, in, in that I, I was, you know, it was a bit like the the, the kid in the candy shop kind of um, scenario because I was I, I I was allowed to go in the archive and look, but what happens to me generally in those situations is that I my mind freezes because there's, you've got this idea everything's here, mm-hmm. all records are here. Uh, you just don't know where to start, mm-hmm. you know. So each time that I had, a, I, I managed to go to the BBC archive a couple of times, and I also went to the Radio France archive in in Paris. No one's crazy. And each time that I went, I made sure that I brought some kind of crate diggers with me, you mm-hmm. know, people who know what to look for, yeah, and and would dig out some things and then turn me on to them, you know. What's and, the? Uh, I mean, those places are like hundreds of thousands of records. I mean, what's the yeah, cataloging system? It's got to be. The, the Radio France one is the one that people get really like sh- shaky about because the, the trouble is the BBC. Maybe it's an English thing. They've got this kind of obsession with cataloging things, mm-hmm. so, and, and the BBC have, have gone through so many different uh, attempts at cataloging. So. When you get one of the records out of the library, you can't even see the sleeve because at first it's in this kind of weird vacuum-packed plastic thing. 
and it's got this giant barcode on the top of it. Then it'll have an earlier attempt, which is just like more like a, a library thing, like a, a piece of card stuck to it, which then somebody would stamp with the mm-hmm. dates it's been out. Mm-hmm. So you're just faced with this weird kind of thing where the actual record is kind of obscured by all the packaging that they've put yeah. on to make it fit into the library. Um, the French archive is completely the other way, that they've got this thing of... Uh, I don't know how they actually put them on the shelves, but all, they're all in pristine condition, mint, you know, like from like the day they were pressed mm-hmm. and stuff. So uh, record collectors get more kind of misty-eyed about the idea of the, uh, the, the the French archive. You can't check stuff out publicly. I mean, the public is... Yeah, I mean, what used to happen with the show because that, that was another thing that I learned from the show that you've got this kind of idea it's like the it's like the kind of fallacy that everything now exists online as you will know from getting stuff together for your label you know there's loads of stuff that's not digitized and not yeah. online so uh, and and the BBC is the same that I when I first started working there I thought well you know I've got access to every record ever made you know, because I get this idea that they would all be there, but mm-hmm. it's not true. You know, there are gaps in there. So sometimes I would order a track or something, and, it, and they'd just say, we haven't got that. Mm. Uh, um, other times it was it was slow as well, so sometimes I'd want to get a track out, but it kind of took... You had to give them, like, five days' notice, and I've never been a very good person at forward planning, so I often would miss out in that because of that. What's uh? Have you been buying records your whole life since you were a teenager, or like what was the record that kind of gave you a kick in the ass or punched you in the face in some ways? Um, I I I I bought my first records like lots of kids, I suppose. You know, like I got a, I got a job delivering newspapers and mm-hmm. started to save money up and. Uh, and so the first album I bought was David Bowie's Changes One Bowie album. Mm-hmm. Um, then I bought a Stranglers single. Um, but with with old records, I suppose I just started with... Um, back in those days, there were still these things called jumble sales, which I guess the nearest thing in America is like a yard sale. Yes, yeah, you know, garage sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so basically stuff that people didn't want, they'd give it to a church mm-hmm. and there would be a thing and you could buy stuff very cheaply. And so I just used to, if there was a record with a funny sleeve or whatever, I would just buy those. And and um, and kind of got into that thing of then with charity shops, with thrift store type of thing mm-hmm. and, and discovering music that way because it wasn't such a, well, I was poor. <laughs> So it was a, it was a way of being able to be a consumer, and still be able to survive mm-hmm. as a as a person as well, you know. So, but and I've thought about it quite a lot in the interim actually. That that really, so quite a lot of like the the established greats of music, or, and also with literature and stuff like that, have passed me by because I was always buying stuff that people. Had rejected, mm-hmm. you know. It was always stuff that people had thrown away. Yeah. So the kind of the the canon of of, of undisputed classics, which is the stuff that people hold on to, because uh, I, I kind of I'm only kind of discovering that now. 
now that I've got the money to be able to <laughs> actually buy those records and, and books like that. And you, yeah. you're referring to in music like Frank Sinatra, or like what do you mean, like the records that people hold on to, the big canon? Just, just stuff in there, you know, there's like... like, um, like the Beatles, or like... Well, Beatles I yeah, knew, yeah, because yeah. Beatles... Uh, my mum had got some Beatles records. Right. But you know what I mean? You would if 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 you were a kid now and and your parents didn't have Beatles records, you would never find them in a thrift shop or something. I mean, At least if, not and cheap. if if yeah. no, yeah. if if they were in a in a second hand place, you'd be paying a, a fortune for yeah. them now. You know, so you just it wouldn't be available to you. Right. And that's a shame, you know, because the you know the Beatles get written about too much or whatever. But you know, for me, they were a. They were kind of like your. They're, they're like the big bang, aren't they? That, that justified and, and enabled so much else to happen mm-hmm. in music. So you, you kind of have to know about them. You know, you, otherwise, the rest of it, in a way, doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's fair. I mean, their their significance is so giant. Yeah, and, it's, and you can think the that there are artists like that, and, and like Bowie as well, a bit. You know, that, mm-hmm. again, he kind of. Lawn, you know, through his different interests and stuff, kind of gave people the kind of confidence or the idea to go and explore these other things. Yeah. And I mean, stuff. last night we went with a friend to see uh, Iggy Pop play mm. at the Finsbury Park show and thinking, you know, 71 years old and thinking mm. that I probably would not know Iggy Pop if it wasn't for David Bowie and then like train spotting. So it's like. Mm. Kind of somewhat related to what you were saying. It's just like it's uh, kind of maybe this is a little off, but mm. the root starts somewhere. And you know, it's how like, was he? At, 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 he was at, good. The sound was really shitty for him. It wasn't mm. like very loud mm. and like the, I don't know. It wasn't very good. And um, but I, I liked the, the performance. Was good. The band was mm. good. It wasn't Queens of Stone Age played after, and you know they did an album together. And mm. They didn't back him up, but his band was really good. It, it kind of got more dialed in as he went on. It was like a festival the, the whole day I think mm. one of the jewels played before Iggy and but uh, when Queens played it was like the sound was totally dialed in but um, mm. I don't know maybe it's just a festival thing or maybe neighbors you can't get very loud there I don't know what it was it's in, in, was it Finsbury in Hyde Park oh Finsbury Park yeah, 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 yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah I was sitting there thinking this guy's 71 years old my mom is 76 this year my mm. dad's 77 it's like my parents could, couldn't do that. I don't know. Not many people could. I mean, it's just, yeah, I don't know how he does it, but it is just absolutely incredible. Have you seen him play before? I have, yeah. yeah. There was a concert he did. Uh, well, I had him on when I, when I did uh, the Meltdown Festival uh, back in 2006. Mm-hmm. I had him on then. And then, um, but the best time I've seen him was he played at the Hammersmith, what, what used to be called Hammersmith Odin. It's called the Apollo now. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favourite venues anyway. But that concert had such a... He was playing Raw Power. It was like the anniversary of that. With so James Williamson. Well, so James Williamson yeah. had come back. And uh, there was just some kind of crazy atmosphere. Like the uh, the girl who I was dating at the time, um, she passed out. Wow. Um, just some energy at all. I think, yeah. I mean, it was yeah. a kind of hot... It was hot as well. Yeah. There was just, you know, sometimes you'll go to a show and, and, and there's some kind of feeling there, isn't mm-hmm. there? And that, that venue seems to be really good for that. It's, I don't I know, something there. about the layout of it or something. That It's quite a big venue, yeah. but somehow you feel very much involved with what's going on. 
the Stooges reunion yeah, yeah. reunions that they did, the 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 one that before when they did the Raw Power and the, mm. the that was amazing. Mm. Um, saw Nick Cave last year, which had kind of a Nick Cave in the bad seats. Yeah, well, I've still a, not seen him. He played in Victoria Park just a, a few weeks ago, and I was supposed to go, but then it was my son's uh, rock school concerts so I had to go to that <laughs> instead that. so I, I yeah, yeah I, I, I really want to see him because a lot of people have told me that so I saw him in Seattle years ago well, I don't know early 2000s but, and I love that show but now it's like this like with Warren Ellis and the whole band it's like, oh, it's like it felt like a transcendent like mm-hmm. kind of you're subscribing uh, you know your the Hammersmith show with Iggy mm-hmm. Pop I mean I was just like I went the next back the next night to see it again it was just mm-hmm. like goosebumps the whole mm-hmm. time I think it was my favorite show I've ever seen in my entire life which mm-hmm. is amazing um, but yes, that's a side note there. But yeah, you should see him if you get the chance. I um, will. You will. You will. Um, what else was I going to ask you? Um, what you What are you listening to these days, or like what records are you? Well, I'm glad about? you asked me that question. Yeah. It could, yeah. And um, it could not consulting my phone at all. <laughs> that, it's just that when I'm asked questions like that, my mind always mm-hmm. goes blank. So I just tried to think of stuff that I've listened to in the last couple of weeks. Um, Starting with new things, so I saw a group called Horse Lords, who I think maybe they're from Chicago, but maybe not. I saw them, uh, I've seen a clip of them performing on some uh, show called Chirp Radio or something like that, where they have like live sessions and it's filmed in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're interesting, it's kind of like uh, the, the... They've moved all the frets on their guitars so that they can play in just intonation. So, uh, but then it's so usually music that's like just intonation, like Terry Riley or someone like that, is quite droney mm-hmm. uh, and spacey. But they, they, they've got a drummer and a sax player, and um, there's no singing in it. But it's quite, it sounds a little bit like African music in some, some aspects, and mm-hmm. they kind of get. They get into these little riffs that'll last for ten and a half bars, and then they'll go on to another one. And mm. it's quite a primal music. Uh, I saw them play as well in in Paris just a few weeks ago, and uh, they're pr- they're pretty good. Mm. So I listened to that. I think that sounds cool. Yeah. What label is that on? Good question, and I wish I knew what it was. But maybe, Horse Lords. Maybe Drag City, Chicago. No, no, it's no, not. No. It's not as. No. I don't think it's as well known a label as that. Um, and then there's a group called Bass Yan. That's well, I, the the main kind of songwriter in that group is a woman called Serafina Steer, and I, I produced a record by her a few years ago. And she's now got a, a group with two other women, and she just gave me a copy of the record the other week. But that's good. That's like. Um, well, the thing that I've always liked about her songs are that they're, they're recognisable as songs, but structurally they're always quite strange. That they'll, uh, they don't. I'm very traditional when I, when I uh, construct a song. It's like mm-hmm. four times through something, that's the verse. Two times through something, that's the chorus. Another four times through something, that's the middle eight. You know, it's kind of. I guess it's because I was brought up listening to pop radio. Mm-hmm. It's just. That template is kind of you know laser etched into my consciousness. Yeah. Um, 
she was trained as a classical harpist, so I think for that reason maybe she's got a more open-ended view to constructing music. And I, I like the fact that it's, it's got that. It's got that, but it also is recognisable as what you might say is pop music. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a good record. The that record sounds, is cool. called Yes I Jan. Okay. And I think that's on Lost Map. Right. And then I've been lucky enough to be be given an advanced copy of, of uh, Chili Gonzalez's new album, Solo Piano 3. Mm. You might be able to guess it's his third solo piano record. And uh, I'm just... Oh, nice. Yeah, that's really... Because uh, that was how I kind of... Well, I did know about Gonzalez before. I mean, I, for people who don't know, I did a record with him last year called Room 29. I'm not advertising it, honestly. <laughs> but... Uh, um, but uh, yeah, so I'd, I'd heard about him, but I really got into him from his his solo piano records, and this one, this one's great. I mean, I've only had a chance to listen to it a couple of times, but it's uh, he's kind of expanding. This time, um, he takes a bit more liberties with with. Uh, you've not always got such a kind of. Uh, Delineated uh, time signature or something. It, 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 the looser the kind of rhythmic thing of the of the songs, and um, he's just got a kind of you, you always recognise his playing. He's got which is something that I find really uh, fascinating because you know you kind of think of a piano. It's, I'm looking at a piano in this room now, actually. So you know it's just got keys and you hit them like softer or louder. But I mean it's. Basically, that's the piano, and and how a person can actually make a piano sound individual to them, especially when they're using different instruments all the time. Because, like, when we were touring Room Twenty Nine, which I'm not advertising, but you know, we pianists don't travel with their instrument because it's massive. You yep. can't travel with a big grand piano. Right, so, of course, we would turn up at these different concert halls, and It'd some would have a sound unique to him. yeah, some would yeah. be a new piano, some would be like a an old kind of beat-up piano. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did have certain specifications, but he would always make it sound his way. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, is kind of magical. Because you can't, you know, you, you're just touching a keyboard. I mean, with a guitar, you can see how somebody could have a different sound because you can actually damp the strings or... Yeah, touch them a certain type of way, yeah. Or the yeah, way you yeah. bend it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> or whatever. You can't bend the strings on a piano, you know what I mean, unless you're really strong. yeah. That, yeah, you have to be very, very strong. I'm trying to go pianist that really you you would hear and know right away that that's so-and-so. Mm. Well, I think Gonzalo's got this kind of... It's almost like a muted quality to the to the sound of it, mm-hmm. which makes it sound already old in some way. But it's not, and he's making the music now. And, it, and a lot of his references, especially his rhythmic references, are taken from, like... Hip hop records because mm. he's crazy. That's his favorite kind of music to listen to. Where is he from? He's from Canada. From Canada, okay. Yeah. We're in Canada. You know, I put you on the spot there. Montreal, Montreal I think. Montreal, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, pretty sure. I need to listen to the Room Twenty Nine record. I've not. I, if I had had yeah. a copy, I would have yeah. brought it. That's okay. Then um, I was up in uh, West Yorkshire last weekend. Uh, DJing, and on my way there, I called in 
a, a, a book dealer's house. I did say book dealer, not a drug dealer's house. <laughs> and, uh, and he also had a small quantity of records that he was selling as well. And uh, a small I bought quantity a, of records. Yeah, I, I bought a, a, a spoken word record of the poet Ted Hughes reading a kind of poem sequence called Crow. Uh, and uh, I haven't listened to it all yet, but uh, it's basically just... It's quite an interesting experience just to listen to someone read poems mm-hmm. for 20 minutes, you know? Yep. And uh, he's got quite a good voice. He's, he's from West Yorkshire. Um, and um, I'm from South Yorkshire, so the dialect is, is similar, but he's got a kind of thicker version of it. It's, it's more primal. And a lot of his poems have got very kind of earthy, primal imagery. Hmm. Especially this crow one, which is... I don't really understand it, because it's poetry. Mm-hmm. And also, no, but I, I, I mean, I think I like... That's what I like about poetry, in that it's like treating language as music. You know, you, you don't... As soon as I realise that you don't have to understand poetry first time, second time, even the third time you hear it, mm-hmm. if you kind of listen to the words more musically and just try and appreciate the effect they have as a sequence as you listen to them, then you can just relax. Mm-hmm. And, and, and kind of perversely, then you, you usually find that you understand it more as well. Or, or it'll come back to you like a day later. And, you, you ever know. listen to the Shel Silverstein records? I've got a, a Shel yeah. Silverstein record. There's yeah. somewhere he's reading poetry yeah. and no music. I mean, obviously he wrote great songs, mm. but... There's some great, I don't know if you have any of those, like Where the Sidewalk Ends, and mm-hmm. there's some side note, but those are really great. They're, I guess maybe, they're, maybe there's some weird sound effects, because mm. they're like children's tales, but that's like a late night. We're trying to get the kids to sleep, put that record on sometimes. But yeah, sometimes I wouldn't put Ted Hughes thing. on to put some of this, because this crow character is really scary. Okay, it's, okay, like, okay. it's kind of like all the kind of ugly blackness of the world is kind of concentrated into this crow figure. That would probably be bad at my house. At, at Not good. Eight, yeah, eight you, nine o'clock. You, yeah. you don't want to put kids yeah. to sleep with that no. idea in no. the mind. Shel Silverstein can run a little scary at times, too. Um, this is a great list. Um, I'm going to be looking all these up. Yeah, okay. So uh, I'll, I'll carry on. Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then when I got to the DJ thing, I was DJing with a guy called Andy Votel who's got a. He's got a. He's, I know he's got at least one label, Finders Keepers. You mm-hmm. probably know that yeah, label. Yeah, great label. Yeah. Um, so we were kind of DJing back to back for about six hours. So he played some good stuff, but unfortunately, most of the stuff that he plays is like Yugoslavian or or whatever. So I, I, and are on these labels that you've never heard of. Yep. So I can't really tell you much about that. But one record that I've been playing a lot when I've been DJing is is Gladys Knight and the Pips, Borgie Borgie. Do you know that one? No, no, oh, no. that's a good one. Oh. Well, that's good because it's like... Um, it's kind of like a politically aware disco song. Oh. But a proper disco song. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. not like Gang of Four, where Gang of Four would take disco and, and make it into, like, agitprop right, kind right, of right, thing, right. which I also think is great. Yep. Um, but this Borgie Borgie is just... Uh, well, the chorus is, everybody wants to be bourgeois, bourgeois, super bourgeoisie. <laughs> so uh, huh. just basically about people wanting status symbols and stuff like this. 
Um, I've that up. I've never it's good. It. Have yeah. a listen. It's yeah. but it's a proper. It's just a really good disco song as yep. well. You know, not not trying to be alternative at all. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how. I, I wouldn't know the how it got written. Mm. It doesn't really seem to fit, you know, with disco. Mm. But uh, so I really enjoyed listening and dancing to that. <laughs> then I had a friend came round to my. Um, apartment in Paris the other night. We were supposed to be watching the football because the World Cup's on at the moment. Yep. Soccer, as you guys <laughs> would call it. But the game was pretty boring, so um, I started playing him some records. You're talking about the English, I would say England Belgium game. Or no? Yeah, it, that was yes, dull, yeah. dull, dull. It was boring, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the one we were. Supposedly watch it, yes. but we'd lost it. Yeah. You're eating very good Thai food at the time, though. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... Yes, yes. Yeah. So I... For some reason, the first thing I played in was a Randy Newman song called Cowboy. I think maybe we'd been talking about the film Midnight Cowboy. Mm-hmm. And somebody once told me that that song, the Randy Newman song Cowboy, was originally written for Midnight Cowboy, but never ended up on the soundtrack. Mm. And I can kind of believe it, because... The, the musical part of it is very similar to one of the themes in uh, Midnight Cowboy. I think it's a track called Joe Book Rides Again yeah, or something. that's a great tune. Yeah. I love that. But the, the, that Randy Newman song is, uh, has become a favourite of mine because it's quite a abstracty kind of song. What know? album is that from, do you know? It's, it's the first one, the oh, first yeah, yeah. Uh, solo album on the we cover, did. The Randy well, I've got some kind yeah, of yeah. cheap... Price yeah. re-edition of it, uh, I love, which I don't think amazing. is the original artwork. I love uh, "Good Old Boys," Randy Newman. Yeah. That's worth if you don't have worth picking up. Has a song called "Guilty." It's like mm. I took some cocaine, I you know drank too much alcohol, and made my wife mad or something. But it's like all about like he's kind of more living in this character of the South mm. and a lot of dealing with like racism and it's like it's, and kind of prohibition and like crazy New Orleans characters. It's yeah. it's like. Not far after when you mentioned maybe seventy three or seventy five, but yeah, yeah, because because the friend who was with me was like, he was, I guess he just really knew Randy Newman from later things like Toy Story, yeah, 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 where he's kind of settled into that kind of piano man thing. But the 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 thing that's nice about that song is it's kind of maybe there is a piano on it, I don't know, but the the main backing is like an orchestra Hmm. and. and it's yeah, it's very kind of spacious, and his voice is pretty crazy. In fact, the friend said he, it reminded him of Tom Waits in a way. Mm. You know, it's more like that kind of idea. Um, That's great. Then we then I've been playing the Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me soundtrack, mm-hmm. which I don't like that film. I I recently watched the whole of the original Twin Peaks series with my son. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how that started, but uh, it was a good thing to watch with a, your adolescent son. What do you think of it? <laughs> yeah, I liked it. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of got me back into the world of Twin Peaks, and then um, I'd never seen the film Firewalk with me, but I saw the soundtrack cheap in a in a record store and got it, and I th- it's really great. Yeah, I love, I love those it's scores a, are amazing. Yeah, but that one in particular is like the like the, the main theme. Actually, that's why I got it right. Now I remember. There was a concert here in London 
of uh, film music and uh, they played that and I'd mm. not really heard it before and it was like I could feel myself kind of drifting off into some kind of transcendental state, mm-hmm. you know, it really and it's weird because it's not like um, you know, you think of meditative music as being like there's a sitar somewhere and there's probably something thrown away you know, there's been a lot of kind of there's almost cliches of how a you would do it, but whereas this is, this theme is more like the kind of uh, they're channeling all that kind of fifties smooth jazz kind of idea, right? But somehow, uh, yeah, there's this kind of muted trumpet kind of you know tootling away, but then there's this really thick kind of string line, and it just goes on and on, and it and it just has the same effect. It really kind of yeah, you start to kind of like go off Drift into it. some yeah. kind of trance, you know. That's it's, amazing. It's really good. I haven't seen the film in a long time, but yeah, I love that score. Mm. Um, I'm coming to the end now. I'll, 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 I'll finish with um, this is coming back to newness again, I suppose. Uh, uh, last time I was in LA, which was back in February, and I. Uh, I ended up doing a bit of DJing at the um, Ace Hotel on the roof and I uh, had quite a good laugh. And somebody gave me a record whilst I was doing that. And I think the, the artist is Holy Shit. I know the name, I've never Holy... heard them. Yeah, OK, yeah. so yeah. he gave me two records and there's an album and unfortunately I can't remember the name of the album. It's got a cover, I think it's the guy who's in the band. I think it's really just one guy, I don't think it's really a band. There's a picture of him by some kind of... looks like it could be a Frank Geary house or at night, something mm-hmm. like that. That's the best description I can give you. But, it, but it, there's a cover version of a Felt song on there, hmm. and I think it's called The Final Resting of the Ark. And um, that's, that's, that's really good. It's like... Um, I mean, I, I guess maybe it's something to do with my mind at the moment, but I, I, I find I like... The stuff that I'm liking to listen to is like where it seems like the song's semi dissolved or in a state of flux or something, mm-hmm. and yet somehow it hangs together. Hmm. And this is like, uh, it's got kind of a 4 4 drum beat, like a bass drum going, but then it's kind of, again, a bit abstract, and some parts of it sound very home recorded, and then other parts are a bit more polished hmm. so you can't really situate it. it's hard to kind of get your bearings within the song uh, and I didn't know it was a felt cover until I checked the the record uh, credits you, and stuff are you a fan of felt well it made me think I, I know Lawrence a bit mm-hmm. I haven't seen him for a while but um, I, I only really got to know him after felt had finished when he was doing the denim thing because mm-hmm. Denim supported Pulp when, when back in the mid-90s when we were playing kind of uh, those arenas and things. Uh, we took him and, um, and also Edwin Collins came along on the tour to open up. Mm-hmm. And um, The Great Bill. Yeah, it was all right, yeah. And I... And I he was a guest on the Sunday service mm-hmm. maybe two times and brought that. in some amazing records. Yeah. I mean, and now he, 
if you're talking about somebody with a, an amazing record collection, he is, and, and he's so obsessive about it. So when he came in, like, none of the records were in the sleeves because he didn't want the sleeves to get damaged. He thought maybe in the, the journey from his house to the studio they might get knocked or something. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was kind of frustrating for me because I'm wanting to, like, find out some information about these amazing records he's playing, but it's just the, the, it's just the record in the paper yeah. sleeve then in a plastic sleeve. <laughs> so, but then he knows all about the records right. as well. And, he, and, he's, and then he was telling me about a place you could take your records somewhere in Soho and get them cleaned, like in a basement of some shop, and you could take them there and oh. the guy would charge you 50p a time and you could get them clean and then they would sound like they'd just been made the right. day before. Wow. So he's really, really obsessive and very knowledgeable about uh, years music. back I, I met him out here and he um, had this great story I feel like he told it to me of um, if you went to his house and wanted to look at his records he made you put plastic gloves, yeah, I, gloves on I can totally just, yeah, believe it just really, I wouldn't be surprised if you had to yeah. put some kind of gas mask on so you didn't, <laughs> didn't breathe on them or something body condom <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, really nice to see those records being reissued and mm. people yeah well liking, it made, like this yeah. cover it made me feel like you know, I've heard the odd felt song, but I'm not in any way knowledgeable about it, so I, I really feel like I should go back and, and listen to I that. I don't know all the records either. Mm. I think I have a few, but I think there's ten records, right, throughout the whole Yeah, 80s. it was yeah. prolific, yeah. Yeah, very prolific. And I heard the other day the recent um, Go-Kart Mozart record, which, mm. was, which had some cool songs. Song yeah, I mean... I, yeah, some great lyrics. Great he, oh, he's always great lyrically. Yeah. I mean, some... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, he's been doing Go-Kart Mozart for... I mean, for ages now. Yep. Um, um, and and I, yeah, some bits of it I like, but um, I kind of like it to see him do something. What can I say? Not quite as bubblegum, I suppose. I know. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and I, I think it, I really respect what he's doing because it's like no one else would go so deep into that throwaway ephemeral thing yeah he's unique yeah he's really so I, I totally respect what he's doing but um, but he could he could move off it yeah he might eventually but he seems pretty <laughs> focused on it yeah yeah yeah. Well, it's a great list. Is that the you keep going? That's it. No, that's it. I'm finished now. Yeah. Really pleasure to have you on. I'm gonna look all that stuff on and up and listen to it. That's oh great. yeah, well do. Yeah, I will. Yeah. I did most of that, if not all. I did not um, had not heard so. Um, well, actually, no. There's one more. Oh, yeah, go for it, please. There's one more. Yeah. Do you know that guy Benjamin Clementine or Clementine? No, I don't think so. He's living in LA now. Okay. I think he lives in Topanga Canyon or something. Okay. So he did a record last year, I Tell a Fly. Uh-huh. He, had a, he had a record before that that got lots of awards and stuff, and then he did this record which is quite experimental. It's mainly kind of piano and drums hmm. with a few kind of synthesizing noises. Mm-hmm. There's a track on there called God Save the Jungle. And again, it's, it's, a, it's that thing that... It seems it is. It has got a song structure and it has got a melody, but it's not a traditional song structure. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people found this latest record of his 
kind of a bit too obtuse and, and hard to get into. And it, there are some spiky bits on it, but yeah, try and have a listen to that one, God Save the Jungle. Yeah, it's a real... There's an emotion in his singing, so it's not like a... You know, sometimes you'll get a record and you just think, yeah, those people are trying to provoke a reaction in me and they're trying to put me on edge. And they've managed it. But, however, I'm never going to listen to it again in my life. But this seems more genuine. But this is more like, yeah, he's, he's trying to find his own place, you know. And yeah. um, It's a great title. Yeah. God Save the Jungle. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Check it. I will check it. Well, thanks, Jarvis. It was really a pleasure. And you're, like I've maybe said earlier, you're one of those people that really... I just love uh, the show when you were doing it and just one of those kind of, um, like a record store clerk or an older brother or someone like that or a, you know, a great blog or someone, someone's music taste I really trust and no, it's, it's nice to hear these things and have you on here and as the, uh, yeah, the police, the police are, the police are, coming, are coming, yeah. coming to get me now. <laughs> take us it. away. This is the final um, words you'll ever hear from me. <laughs> Well, thanks for being on the Lightning Act podcast, and right, uh, thanks. it was a pleasure. Cheers. Right, bye-bye. Need an highways, highways. I'm going to sit around you where I am, and it's easier to stay here. Think I know my way here. I'm going to lay here, going to sit here writing a song. Every time one comes along, I'm all right. Gotta be all right.